And I'm going to have uh, Tim come and read our call, uh, not our call to worship, our uh, scripture reading for this evening. Our, uh, our scripture reading for the night is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 19. Let's hear God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you for this time. Uh, God, we thank you um, for all your many blessings to us. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you for um, this objective source, um, uh, this revelation of of who you are and uh, who your son is, of your plan for um, not only for your people but for the universe itself. Um, God, that you have um, shown us how we are to live our lives and how we are to recognize um, who we truly are. Um, in all these things, um, how we are to honor and exalt Christ in our lives. God, we thank you that you have not left us without um, a witness. Um, God, that you have shown us yourself um, in your word. Um, God, help us to read your word tonight um, as, we, as we look and close out um, Paul's letter to the uh, church at Ephesus. Um, God, help us to... Um, read this uh, and glean things from it that you would have us to understand, God. As we as we look at it um, and and illustrate um, your word through the life of one of your saints on this All Saints Sunday, um, God help us to um, know these things, to believe these things, um, to apply them to our lives, to live lives in keeping with these things, to be these kind of people um, that in everything we do that we would. Um, be love, loving and obedient uh, to Jesus Christ and live lives that honor him. Uh, we thank you. Uh, we praise you. Um, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we are closing out. Happy All Saints Sunday, first off. So, um, I, again, you know, you might say, hey, uh, I thought this was a Baptist church. Uh, we don't talk about things like All Saints and stuff. Um, and you're probably right. 
um, but I talk about it a lot. And, um, and, and here's the deal is right. We have a very different understanding about saints and things than say the Catholic church does. Okay. Um, but, but how we understand the, the idea, number one, we are all saints, um, um, because we have all been changed by Jesus Christ. And yet we recognize that, that word saints tends to have a unique usage a lot of times in terms of history. Um, we recognize that there are certain people in history that God has used in, in remarkable ways and in extraordinary ways. And so I don't think it's a bad thing for us to um, take times, probably all the time in our life, it's, it's probably something that would be healthy for us to do on a regular basis, but, but at specific times of the year to look towards certain um, leaders and figures throughout church history and to acknowledge um, the, the ways that God has used them mightily um, for the progress of his kingdom and, and, and the spread of the gospel in the world. And so we're doing that tonight. Um, in previous years, the last two years, we've kind of had a series of all saints sermons. We're just going to do one this year. Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about William Carey, um, tonight. Um, but, but let me kind of introduce, um, this, this closing passage as, as we're talking. So there's a, there's a, a joke and no, it's not a joke, but it's something that you hear ministers say sometimes. It's probably something that, that you recognize. And I think I've shared it before at different times. Um, if you want to guilt trip people, um, there's three easy ways to do that, right? You can talk about prayer, you can talk about giving, or you can talk about evangelism, right? And it's easy to guilt trip people on those three things. And, and the reality is, is because um, just about every Christian realizes that those things are important, number one. Um, rarely do I come across a Christian who's like, no, those things are dumb and not part of the Christian life, right? Everybody recognizes their importance, but at the same time, just about every Christian realizes that they are not doing them probably to the extent that they should be. Um, I, I rarely do you meet a Christian who's like, man, I'm just knocking it out of the park on all three of those things, right? I'm evangelized up. Like I, there's just nobody else I can tell about Jesus, um, right now, um, and because of that, right, because we recognize its importance and we also recognize our deficiency in it, and that makes for a lot of opportunity um, for shame and guilt and, and feelings of defeat uh, in some of those things, right? Well, the crazy thing is this passage talks about all three of them in a way, right? It kind of, in a, in a context, talks about all three. But we're not looking to guilt trip anybody. That's not the point. In fact, that's not the point that Paul is making here either. Um, these are reminders to encourage the church of these important things. And if you think about it, they're actually even, Paul is asking for these things for himself, right? He's asking the church to pray for him in these contexts. Recognizing what? That Paul is deficient in these things, right? That he recognizes he is not where he should be on these issues too. And so probably that should give us just a little bit of, you know, we can say, man, if Paul had a problem with these things, we're probably going to um, need some leeway on them too, okay? Um, and so, so Paul is asking the church to pray for him about these certain things. Um, moreover, um, he is addressing these things specifically in, 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 not in an isolated way, but specifically talking about the church's relationship to the mission of the gospel going out into the world. Okay, so um, again, since it's All Saints Sunday, um, we are going to talk about those very things, these ideas of, of um, the significant features of the gospel going out into the world and what is necessary on our part for those things. And we're going to do that through using the illustration of the life of of a guy named William Carey. Um, William Carey is, is sort of popularly known as the father of modern missions. Carey was a Baptist missionary um, to India um, whose life and work 
um, sparked the great missionary expansion of the 1800s, okay? And here's an interesting fact that I came across, is it was talking about the, 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 the religious situation of the entire world at the beginning of the 1800s, in the year 1800, right? And, and between the beginning of 1800 and the beginning of 1900, there was a greater religious shift worldwide than at any other time in the history of the world. And that was a shift from not Christian to Christian, okay? And so both between the number of people who converted to Christianity, the different cultures and places that Christianity was spreading to, there was a larger transition from non-Christian to Christian um, in that century than at any other time in the history of the world, not just from Christianity to something else, but from anything to anything else, right? And William Carey is a big piece in that, right? He, is, he was used in a specific way by God for those things. So Carey was born, and he was an English guy. He was, he was born in this tiny little hamlet in Northamptonshire, which is in England, um, in 1761, okay? His parents were weavers, right? They made, they made fabric. Um, he had little formal schooling and no formal theological education. Um, as, a, as a teenager, he began to be apprenticed as a, as a shoemaker, although later in his life he would say he never really got to the shoemaker level. He was just a cobbler, okay? He was a guy who could fix shoes, but he never got to the artisan part where he was actually kind of producing them or whatever. Um, and his conversion was a little later in his teens or whatever, but at, when he was converted, he started to um, focus his attention on the things of the Lord. Um, and during that apprenticeship time in his late teens and early 20s, he began studying the New Testament, right? He began studying Greek for himself and teaching himself Greek. And during that time, the Lord did something unique in his heart. Um, he began to turn William Carey's heart towards a care for the nations, all right, uh, to, to have a concern for the spiritual life and well-being of those outside of, of Western Christianity, okay? And so we, we, we notice in Paul's letter this. Paul closes this letter to Ephesians, uh, to the Ephesians with a call to pray, not only for um, themselves and their situation, but for him, right? He's, Paul is asking the church to pray for him and for the gospel to go forth into all the world, okay? And so we notice something about this text. It's really cool in verse 18. The word all is used four times, and we first see this idea that's connected with not only William Carey, but also with us and our missionary effort, is this comprehensive prayer that should go along with our missionary mindset, okay? So think about that, comprehensive prayer. We should be praying these four alls, okay? So let's read the passage again. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit and all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, okay? So um, first off to say this, there's no small prayer. Right? There are no small prayers. There are no insignificant prayers. There are no prayers that you should not offer up to God. Right? If you are asking for, um, for holy things, uh, for good things, then there is nothing that you should not take before the Lord. And yet, when we read a passage like this, we recognize this. Um, oftentimes, the scope of our own prayers is very myopic. Right? We have zoomed in our prayers on a little piece of our lives. And Paul is saying our prayer life should be much more broad. Okay, and focused on much larger concerns um, in, in in terms of uh, the life of the world. Okay, um, the alls convict us in this passage. All times, 
right? So he starts off all times, right? Five-minute quiet time in the morning is good, but it's probably not going to cut it, right? All times means something more than that. Um, our lives should not only be characterized by more specific times of prayer where we kind of drop everything to focus on prayer, but they should probably be characterized by a, a, a kind of running dialogue with God all throughout our lives and all throughout our days, okay? We are to pray at all times, okay? Then we're also to pray all kinds of prayers. He says all prayers and supplications, right? And so I think probably the case is um, we find ourselves only going to God in certain kinds of times, maybe, right? Um, So maybe we don't tend to pray unless things have gone wrong, or we don't tend to pray unless we want something. Um, And yet he says, no, we're to offer all kinds of prayers to God. Probably most of you are familiar with the little acronym, the ACTS acronym, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, right? Those are kind of four broad categories of prayer, but we're to offer all these kinds of prayer to God. If you notice that you're only ever praying to God in supplication, asking him for things, then maybe you start thinking, okay, when do I pray in adoration of God? When do I pray in confession to God? When do I pray in thanksgiving to God? We're to offer all kinds of prayers to God. Then, in all perseverance, we are to pray. So there are any number of things that interfere with prayer, right? Um, Busy lives, stresses in work and family, depressive mental kind of states, persecution, hardship. Right? There are any number of things that can keep us, interfere with us praying. And yet Paul says we are to pray with all perseverance. So you could even maybe say that in all circumstances, right? Whether things are going good, bad, distracted, focused, whatever the case is, in all circumstances, persevere in prayer. And then finally, he says, for all the saints, all right? We are to pray for all the saints. We have a calling and a privilege to pray for brothers and sisters, not just in our families, not just in our churches, not just even in our own communities, but throughout the entire world. And for people whom we know the Lord has chosen and yet not even yet called. We already have this this glorious responsibility to pray for that, right? And so we see this multifaceted, this comprehensive picture of prayer. And just like we said a couple weeks ago, I think the reality is this. We don't typically regret action in our lives. We end up regretting inaction. And I have a feeling that we will stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ, right? But what they call the Bema seat, right? So we're not talking about being judged in terms of heaven and hell, but having our works judged, having how we lived our lives judged and being rewarded for those things. And I think we're going to stand before that Bema seat one day. And, and I wonder if God is not going to give us a picture of all the things that would have been possible had we only prayed, right? All of the things that we had missed not just in our personal lives, but in the way the world has turned out, okay, if we had only been faithful in prayer. William Carey, as he was studying as a young man, after he had become a follower of Jesus Christ, um, there, was, there was some interesting things going on in the world. Um, there was a guy named Captain James Cook, and he had just discovered, or at least as a Westerner, discovered Australia, uh, in New Zealand, and so he was writing these accounts of his discovery of these, you know, new and exotic places with these crazy animals and these and these new peoples that nobody had ever from the West ever seen or whatever. And it was interesting what happened in in uh, William Carey's heart because as he read these stories, he did not think, "Wow, what interesting cultures!" You know, these are fantastic books about. You know what he thought? He thought 
nobody's ever brought the gospel to these people, that they have been here for thousands of years and they have been without the gospel. Somebody should tell these people about Jesus Christ. And that was what he began to think. And so as he heard these new adventure stories, they weren't adventure stories, but they were these sort of explorer stories coming from India and Southeast Asia and Australia and places like that, his heart was turned to saying, Somebody needs to take the gospel to these people because these are people who have lived their entire lives for generations without knowing Jesus Christ. And so let me, let me suggest just a little resource for you if you're not aware of. There's this book that you can get called Operation World. Is anybody familiar with the book Operation World? A couple of you are, right? So what it is is it's basically a, it's like an almanac or something that has every single country in the world, except what it does is it talks about each of those, in each of those entries, it talks about them in terms of um, missionary concerns, okay? And so it will tell you what the population is, what the primary uh, religious makeup of the place, evangelization, is it, you know, is there Catholic but no evangelical, is it mainly, whatever. It'll talk about its history a little bit, the, the people makeup and all those things. But it's a great resource to use to pray, um, to be able to just pray for the world. And obviously it's a long process to go through that big book and do all the countries and stuff like that. Um, but it is an opportunity to do that, something that I think we're called to do. Um, do you have, do you pray for the world? All right. Do you do that in your prayer? Um, and, 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 and as you think about how God is moving in the world, I've got countries that I pray for. And obviously in a sense, we're supposed to call pray for everything, but I've got some certain countries that I zoom in on. Um, maybe that's something that you would be helpful for you. Maybe not. Maybe a book like operation world would be helpful for you, but God calls us to do these things. Um, he calls us to pray in all times and always with all perseverance for all the saints throughout the entire world. Carrie felt that calling on his life and the need um, to pray for the message of the gospel to go out, okay? But it's not just that. We don't just pray, and that's not just what Paul asked for. Look at verse 19. So in verse 19, he says, Also, pray for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, right? So Paul is asking for the church to pray for him to speak the message boldly as he goes out and takes the, the gospel across the Mediterranean world. Um, or probably more specifically, the fact that he is in prison at this time and he is going to be before all kinds of um, dangerous situations and important leaders and to give him the boldness to speak in those situations. We have to be very conscious of the way our hearts deceive us about different areas of disobedience. And I think boldness is one of those specific things because somewhere along the line, we have either gotten the idea or maybe we've even known somebody like this. And we have decided in our heads oftentimes that boldness means abrasiveness, right? It means being intrusive. Um, it means being a jerk, okay? And we've thought, that's, I know a guy who was bold in the faith, and everybody hated him because he was kind of a jerk about it to everybody. And so oftentimes what happens is we start doing these things in our heads. We were talking about it in, uh, in uh, uh, our group uh, discipleship class earlier tonight. Um, we say, you know, that's cool. I don't want to be like that guy, so I'm not going to be bold. I'm going to be meek. I'm going to be winsome. I'm going to let these things come organically. Like, I'm not going to push these issues in any way. I'm just going to kind of let things happen naturally when it comes to um, sharing the gospel with people, right? All those things are good things. Meekness and winsomeness and, and organic kind of life evangelism, those are all good things, okay? But there's something missing there when it comes to boldness, 
Okay, um, because oftentimes what happens is in our attempt to not be abrasive, we end up saying nothing at all ever. Okay, and we just kind of have friends and we just kind of talk and hang out. Um, you shouldn't have to be friends with somebody for a decade before they know that you're a Christian, right? Or that they know who Jesus Christ is. There should be a little more boldness um, than that. And again, we don't want to be jerks. We don't want to be um, overbearing in any way. Um, but the reality is, is boldness requires us to take chances. Right. Um, it, it, it means that if we try to remove any chance or any opportunity for injury or insult or tension or uncomfortableness, if we look at those things and we say, man, I'm staying as far away from any possibility of that stuff that I can, um, we will live bland and sanitized lives and we will be bland and sanitized followers of Jesus Christ. Right. We will not share the gospel the way we have been called to. And so Paul says, Pray for boldness for me because I'm going to need to be bold. There's going to be lots of opportunities where I don't want to say anything because it'll either get me killed or it'll get everybody mad at me, right? And he says, but pray for boldness because I'm going to need it. Again, boldness doesn't relish controversy, right? We're not that's – a, that's a problem in our culture too with cable news being the great example, right? Man, we love having firm opinions that make everybody ticked off at us, right? Okay, and so we're not talking about just loving controversy and wanting there to be upheaval. Um, but it does recognize this. Stakes are high, man. Um, inaction is often more dangerous than action. All right? And so we have to recognize that. Um, over the next few years of William Carey's uh, life, Carey was growing in his faith, and he began serving uh, at, uh, as a pastor in a small congregation that was about a two-hour walk from his home. So again, just that's just like one of those little nuggets. Like he got up every Sunday, and you're like, "Man, I got to drive five minutes. I can't make it there, or whatever." Carey had to get up and walk for two hours to get to this little village where he had a church and ministered to a small flock, right? Um, and here's something that was interesting that we have to keep in, in, in our picture as we think about Carey. Um, and it's probably hard for us to imagine, but the idea of evangelizing the world in Carey's time was considered bold, radical, um, probably even unbiblical, okay? Um, Evangelical Christianity at the time was primarily a European phenomenon, right? Um, there was Catholicism around the world, right? You had Eastern um, forms of Christianity in, in Russia and the Middle East and places like that. But in terms of evangelical Christianity, um, you didn't have it everywhere in the world. It was basically Western Europe and, and, and America, right? That's, that's where um, evangelical Christianity was. And here's the, the crazy thing. Many pastors believed and taught that the Great Commission only applied to the apostles, that they were the only people who were told to do those things, okay? Uh, they believed that the world, if it was going to come to Christ, that something would happen like Pentecost again, right? Like that something crazy would happen where all of a sudden, out of nowhere in China, a bunch of people would just be believers and the gospel would spread and that was how it's going to work. They did not think it would... Christianity would spread to the world through the normal witness and ministry of the church, right? And that was something they taught. It wasn't just something they accidentally believed. It was, it was intentional, okay? And so there were no particular missionary agencies, 
right? They didn't have a, a mission board, right? Nobody had those. Um, there were very few even missionaries. There had few examples over the last previous hundred years or so where missionaries had actually gone out. And there were some exceptions. There was a group of German believers called the Moravians that John Wesley was influenced by and that, that were very big on, uh, they were sort of pioneers in, in, in missionary stuff. But by and large, People weren't thinking in missionary contexts, okay? They, they, they had a heart to go down the street and tell other people in their community, but they didn't think it was important or even biblical to take the gospel across the world. Um, to the extent, and this may be a story that, that I've shared, I know it's, I've shared it before, but you may have heard it before, um, to the extent that one time William Carey was at a local pastor's conference, okay? Just kind of like we have today, right? Pastors, Baptist pastors from around the county had gotten together to encourage each other and study the Bible together and talk or whatever. And during this time, they were encouraged to bring up issues that, for discussion or whatever. And so William Carey brought up the issue, is the Great Commission... For us today, or was it just for the apostles? And the consensus among the whole group was it was just for the apostles. And so then Carrie was kind of like, yeah, but all the other things that are there we consider for us today. Like when, it, when Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world, was that only for the apostles? Well, no, 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 that's for us. And then he says, so why is it that we're not supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? And so he made his argument. And, and people looked at him, and it was, it, there's, there's a write-up of, of a guy who was there who basically said he was mocked because of his view that the world should be evangelized, and he was considered a miserable enthusiast and fanatic, okay, by, by godly, faithful people, okay? So much so that at the end of the meeting, a, a senior elder minister said, sit down, young man, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without your aid or mine, right? So he basically said, man, it's not our job. Jesus wants to save people, he'll do it. It's not, we're not called to do that, okay? Carey, however, was unconvinced. He was undeterred by that. So a few years later, he wrote a, a uh, defense, essentially, of cross-cultural missions called, it's got a great title, An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Okay? Um, that may sound a little not PC, but, it, you know, whatever. Um, it, and, and actually, the title goes on for about two more paragraphs out after that, but I didn't want to read the whole thing. So, um, so consider the boldness of that, right? We're talking about boldness. Consider what it took for a young, inexperienced, untrained pastor among seasoned leaders, right? Men who knew the Bible much better than he did and had been doing uh, ministry and theology a lot longer than he had. And for him to be able to look at those men and say, you're doing it wrong, right? It's, it's right here. You're, you're not understanding what it's saying, um, not out of bravado, right? Not out of bravado, um, but out of expositional conviction, right? Out of looking at the word of God and saying, now it seems pretty clear what we're supposed to do here, how we are supposed to live. And so Carrie's bold witness and trust in God can be summed up perhaps in, in the, the phrase that has come down to us through history that is, that is the most repeated phrase that came from William Carey. And some of you have probably heard this. He said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. All right? Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And it was out of that boldness, right, um, that boldness that must be lived out that he ended up um, setting sail soon after that for India um, to essentially 
be a pioneer in terms of, of missionary work there, right? And again, we have to recognize boldness requires a certain level of action on our part. There are a lot of people in the culture and in the church that love being bold, um, but it's functionally a conservative version of virtue signaling, right? Like we like to say things that have these really bold opinions, and then we don't do anything, right? Um, Boldness requires action on our part. And more than action, it often requires sacrifice on our part. And so that was no less true for William Carey, and it's no less true for Paul. And, and the point is maybe a little bit subtle, but you see it in the language that he uses. Look at verse 20. So third thing, well, not only do we need prayer in this, in, this, in this missionary endeavor, not only do we need boldness, but we need a, a sacrificial boldness. Verse 20, for I am what? I am an ambassador in chains. Okay. Now, again, he's probably specifically referencing what we think is the case is that he is in prison at this point. Right. He is going to go on trial for that whole incident that took place in Jerusalem uh, where he appealed to Caesar and went to Rome. Like we think that's probably what's going on here. But obviously that that line that he's an ambassador uh, in chains, that the things that we've read before, that he is a slave for Jesus Christ. Right. Um, he says, for, I, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare again, it, declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And so boldness usually has a cost. Okay? If it doesn't have a cost, then you're probably being bold in the wrong context. Okay? Um, if you're bold and everybody goes, eh, good job, yeah. Yeah, it's not really being bold, honestly, right? It's actually... It's easy, right? There's nothing brave about saying something that everybody in your tribe believes in, okay? Boldness usually has a cost to it because it means you are saying something or doing something in a context that other people don't like and don't agree with. Boldness, boldness almost always has a cost, um, and we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to give so that the gospel can go forth, whether that's to the neighbor across the street, or whether that's to another place in the world entirely. What is the mission of the church worth for us? Is it worth our comfort? Is it worth our time? Is it worth our money? Is it worth our health? Is it worth our future? Is it worth even our very lives in some context? If we are honest, while we might say, yes, it should be, the truth is that we would probably say no. And we should be honest about that, right? Um, many of us would go, yeah, I think that's right. But at the same time, I'm not sure that I am willing to give any of those things so that the gospel can go forth. Or maybe I want to, um, but I'm scared to or I'm uh, something like that. Um, we should be honest about that, right? Um, and, and, and the truth is, is that every single one of us, including the Apostle Paul, is in that situation, right? Um, that's why he's asking for this boldness, and that's why he's asking these people to pray for him, because he recognizes that there's going to be a big cost, and he wants to be ready for that and to, and to live rightly in light of what Christ has called him to. And so on one side, it's okay to be honest about that, to say, I'm not there yet, right? But it is also to recognize that we have to ask for these things, too. And that we have to be willing for God to change our hearts and to, um, to make us be bold and sacrificial in these things. So like I said a minute ago, William Carey set sail a few years later for India in June of 19, uh, 1793. Um, he, his family, 
and his mission team, which included a doctor and his wife and, and, and another guy, um, experienced any number of challenges along the way. Um, for one, the East India Company, and, and if you guys have ever watched any movies about that kind of era, the East India Company was like, it, it didn't want Christianity to go forth, right? It liked being able to be in other countries and exploit them for their wealth and to get their goods and resources and use them in a certain way. It didn't want the gospel coming to these people. And so the East India Company was very against the mission of, of the church coming from, from England and places like that into the world. Eventually, Carrie ended up um, joining forces with the Dutch because the Dutch were much more open to the, to the gospel going out into those places. Um, but the East India Company was always trying to make it harder on, on the mission there um, in, in India. Uh, the tropical climate, right? He moved from England to India, right? A place that was rife with malaria and typhoid and dysentery. Carrie's son, Peter, um, and a number of other missionaries would die on the field of, of various tropical diseases. Um, his wife, who, who possibly suffered from mental illness, um, while she was there after the death of her son, went insane um, and, and never recovered from it. She lived till 1807, um, uh, eventually dying, but never really um, uh, recovering from, from that tragedy. And so she was there. And, 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 and just imagine being in that situation of being in a foreign place on a mission field, um, having the death of a child and, and, and functionally the loss of a wife. Um, at the same time, um, he would bury another son and another wife on the missionary field while he was there. Um, it was seven years before he ever saw a convert. He was there for seven years before he even saw a single convert, um, a man by the name of Krishna Paul, who finally came to Christ. He never returned to England. Never took a furlough, never went home, never took a break or a vacation. He stayed in India for the rest of his life, 40-plus years on the missionary field, dying in 1834. And so some have honestly questioned the wisdom or even the kindness of Kerry's actions, right? Um, because there are some things in which... His devotion to the task looks fanatical to us, right? We look at it and you go, man, man, you let all these, you shouldn't have been there. You should have taken breaks. You should have cared more for your wife or you should have been more sensitive to these things. Uh, and, and there's discussions to be had about all that stuff, right? Um, but it certainly did not cost more for Carrie than it did for the souls of those people who stepped into eternity without Jesus Christ. We can say that, that those people who died without Christ, it cost them far more than it cost William Carey or anybody in his family. So Carey has been given, again, this title of, of the father of modern missions. Um, in India, he translated the scripture into seven Indian dialects. He was responsible for the founding of schools and developing indigenous pastors. He created guidelines and systems that translated into other missionary contexts, right? Because, again, there weren't missionaries. There weren't mission-sending organizations. And so he was a pioneer in all these things, right? Um, but perhaps most importantly, he became an inspiration for generations of men and women from the West who took the gospel to the four corners of the world, right? And so that's why that 1800s, that 19th century, became this massive 
generation, this massive century of Christian expansion in the world, of the gospel going out. And a lot of it comes back to Carrie and, and, and a few other people like him. And here's a cool thing, though. Even though Carrie is zoomed in on, the truth is, is this. He didn't do it alone. All right? He was not. There, there's, there's something. Have you ever heard the term the great man theory of history? Right? There's a few just super capable people throughout history. And they are the movers and the shakers. And they're the ones that steer this thing. And sometimes we can look at a guy whose name is the father of modern missions and go, yeah, man, he was a giant somehow. Like he's just better and smarter and more gifted than the rest of us. And the truth is. He honestly wasn't. He was a very normal dude. Um, And all through his life, essentially, people who were more educated and more wealthy and more aristocratic and more of these things always kind of went, this is weird. It's weird that this guy is the one who has had all this influence because he's kind of a nothing and a nobody. Um, And the truth is is that he was not a a particularly great man in a lot of ways. But you know what he did have? He had a great team around him. Okay, And that's something that we also see at the end of this passage. Again, it may be a little bit of an obscure way, but notice how Paul closes out in verse 21. So he says this. He says, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Okay, And so, again, that's kind of one of those closing passages that I think we normally just read past and go, yeah, it's just the closing of the book, you know, whatever. Okay, But consider in the context what we're talking about, that not only had Paul set up avenues of information, right? He had set up these networks of people who were spreading the message, who were encouraging others, who were saying, hey, let me tell you about what's going on with Paul's ministry because God's doing some really cool things, okay? And and here's ways that you can pray for him, and here's ways you can encourage him, and here's ways that you can fund him or whatever else, right? Here's some ways that you can get on board with this and go be a part of it and help. Paul was creating these networks, right? He was sending messages back to the other churches about what he was doing, Um Paul had this, this, this long collection of, of sort of, um, I mean, even the letter of Ephesians, right? Like we, as far as we can tell, uh, we've been calling it the letter to Ephesians, but we mentioned it at the very beginning of the series. It probably wasn't the letter to Ephesus. It was to the letter, the letter to the churches around Ephesus, right? It was meant to be this letter that went to different churches and informed people and talked about these different things in different, um, for a lot of different people. Okay. Um, Paul's missionary effort had a support system, okay? And and the same was true of William Carey's. Um, As we look through his life, we see dozens of people who supported him in all kinds of different ways. Um, People who made it possible, including a couple of other men who ended up being great men of of church history. Men like Adoniram Judson, um, who that may be a name that you know. Andrew Fuller is another name that that you may or may not be aware of. Um, Other men, preachers, mentors, fundraisers organizers, uh, institutional leaders, fellow missionaries, all who shared Carrie's heart and played a role that God had given them so that this great 
um, thing of taking the gospel to India could be accomplished, right? And so he had people back at home who were raising funds, and he had people who were going around and preaching and telling people about the, about the situation in India and, and the need for missionaries. And he had a whole network of people. And so he got a lot of the credit. He gets, he gets that, that special name. Um, but in many ways, he was just one person that God was using in a big team of people. And here's the reality. We are all supposed to be cross-cultural missionaries, every single one of us. That's what the Great Commission tells us, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. That's not just to the apostles. That's to you. That's to me, every single one of us. And yet at the same time, it doesn't mean that every single one of us has to pick up and move to another country, okay? Because there are ways that we can be about the business of making disciples of all nations, necessary ways that we can be about the, the business of making disciples of all nations and not go across to another place, right? And that doesn't mean that none of us shouldn't. There are some of us in this room probably who should go and do those things. And yet the reality is, is we're all called to that. Um, William Carey recognized that each of us has given a calling and then we have to find the way that God has gifted us and wired us to be a part of that calling. And again, like we've talked about the whole time, what is the calling of God on our lives? The calling of God is, is service, taking the gospel to the nations and holiness. That's the calling of God in your life. Okay. And we all have that same calling. I love this at the end. Um, and it's just one other little phrase that I'm going to close with before we get to the benediction. And I'll use the benediction that's in Ephesians actually as our closing benediction today. Um, Carrie said this. Again, a guy that was in a foreign country in the circumstances that he was for 40 years, you would almost assume this of him, but you might not know. And he said this. He said, you should put this above your door. You ready? I am a plotter. I am am a plotter. I have no genius, but I can plod. And you might go, let's, I don't even know what plod means, Ash, right? Plod means you stick in there and you just keep going, right? And you keep pushing forward and you keep on doing the next thing and you keep on being faithful and you keep on taking that next step. And I guarantee that's what got William Carey threw in India, right? That he looked to it and he said, man, God, I guarantee, I know. He stood there those first seven years and said, what am I doing here, right? Why am I putting myself, my family, everybody through this and nothing is happening? There's no converts. We're not moving forward in anything. Nothing is happening. We are wasting our lives in India. I guarantee there were voices that said that. Um, that spiritual warfare that we talked about last week. He heard those voices speaking into his ear at night, right? And yet, what did he do? He said, but I'm a plotter, okay? I'm going to keep pushing through. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to keep pushing in, trusting that God is going to use this for his glory and for the good of the people that I'm ministering to. And guess what? He did, right? Um, that not only for the people of India, but for a missionary century um, that changed the world and continues to change the world in all honesty. Um, that is the promise that we have. And so, so what I would encourage you to do as we close tonight is just kind of what we've talked about. Um, would you pray for those things for yourself? Would you pray for those things for our church? Would you, would you be a person of prayer, comprehensive prayer? And then would you pray to God for boldness 
to be a witness in whatever context he's called you to. Your work, your family, your friends, um, the nations, whatever God is, is, is drawing you towards, um, that you would be bold in those situations. And then that you would recognize the cost, that it is going to cost something. Um, and that in those things we are to be plotters. And that we are to keep on pushing forward in all of these things. But knowing this, you are not alone in it either. Right? Not only are there great networks and institutions and things that the church has developed to help you in those, those efforts, but you have us. Right? You have people who will come alongside you in prayer and support and help um, um, to see um, and help you do those things. Um, and it's an encouragement for us to recognize our need to be those people, right? To come alongside others and to help them in those things. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Just kind of offering up some of those things um, uh, to God in our, in our own lives, in our, the life of our church, and in the life of the world. Um, and, and I'll close this in just a minute in prayer. Father God, on this uh, All Saints Sunday, um, God, we we thank you um, for the way that you have used um, so many different people down through the history of the world. Um, God, we thank you for all uh, those who have been, um, God, who have taken the opportunity to uh, share your word, whether that is in a theological context um, or a or a evangelism context, God, if they have been cross cultural missionaries or if they have been faithful leaders in their own communities, um, God, we thank you for uh, men and women throughout the history of the church. We thank you for uh, Augustine, um, God. We thank you for um, Jerome. We thank you for Chrysostom. We thank you for Basil. We thank you for Gregory. We thank you for uh, Aquinas. We thank you for Luther. We thank you for Calvin. We thank you for Zwingli. We thank you for um, God, the Puritans. We thank you for, for Watson and uh, Flavel, and we thank you for Bunyan, and we thank you for the, the, the people in the Great Awakening, uh, Wesley and Whitfield and Edwards. Uh, God, we thank you for the missionary movement and, and Carey and, and Judson and uh, Lottie Moon and, and Annie Armstrong. God, we thank you for the leaders uh, of, of, of the conservative resurgence um, of, of faith in the early 1900s, God. We, we, we thank you for all those who stood against liberalism and, and the decline of, of your word and the gospel in, in the culture. Uh, God, we thank you for all those people throughout history that you have used in remarkable ways. And we recognize, God, that you are calling each of us um, to a similar 
life. Um, God, we may not have their giftings. We may not have um, the abilities and the knowledge and the brilliance um, and the opportunities that they do, and yet you have not given us a different mission. We have the exact same mission as every single one of those people throughout history, and that is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded and Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God, that is what you have called us to, every single one of us. Um, God, help us to fulfill that calling. Help us to be people of prayer, of boldness, sacrifice, and fellowship um, as we go about your business. God, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, and ask all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.